It's Wednesday, March 1st, 2017, and you're listening to episode 434 of Fear the Boot, a show about tabletop role-playing games and a little bit more. Running time for this episode is 57 minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan. This is Brodor. I'm sitting up. Yeah, I know. Chad's audio oddness. See, normally I only have this problem with John. And it's not John's distance from the mic, it's his speaking voice. He right. doesn't maintain a consistent speaking voice. He's constantly pushing back against wanting to take a nap. Well, yes, and and his <laughs> bouts of excitement. Mm-hmm. He is the narcoleptic grandpa, he is. where he goes between <laughs> falling asleep and raging about the government. <laughs> and with John's voice, whenever I try to, to balance him on the audio... It's only in one or two places. It is either literally breaking the, oh, I forget what you call it, clipping. That's what you call it. Yes. It's, it's clipping, which basically means that it's exceeding the sound input that the system is set up to allow, or it is so quiet that I have to amp it up by a lot. I'm talking like 10 decibels, 20 decibels, to actually make it a registering voice. And he just goes in and out of this. Just It's this persistent up and down as he yells and then falls into a whisper and then goes back into a yell and then falls back and into, falls a into his torpor. He falls into his torpor. Rises again. Somebody wakes him up from his 10,000 year slumber. And he, Do you know he fell asleep on the mics one time during recording? No. Yes. Dan and I were talking and I, I wish I could have a video of this, but he leans forward and his forehead rests on the mic. It doesn't go pop, bonk it, but it, he rests on the mic. And he closes his eyes, and then he's quite obviously asleep. And Dan and I are talking, and we like, oh, and them yeah, role playing games and great, but we have this look on our faces, like we look at each other, like, and Do then we, we look him? at, uh, yeah, yeah, it's like, if we wake him, will he have a heart attack? It's you know, he's <laughs> an old man. He is an old man, John. It's funny because I think well, Julia is younger, right? Isn't oh yeah. Julia? Okay, so Julia is younger. Well, and I is quite a bit younger, but of the of the you know, old horse, the workhorses, right? That they, they go way back in the show. John is the youngest member. Obviously, I mean, he's like, I mean, just some like insignificant fraction of Chris's age. Right. But surrounding her. I swear, <laughs> Chris is not the old man of the show. No. It's John. Yeah. He's got an old soul. Yes. John does very much. He has an old soul and has a strange attraction to obelisks and it's just <laughs> all, all these weird, you know, things Loves about bowling. <laughs> he's actually quite good at bowling. Yes, he's he, quite good at bowling. He too. was on his high school bowling team. Wasn't he also on his high school golf team? I don't believe he was. I just made that up probably. Yes. But if But he was the uh king of his prom and he went to an all boys school. Huh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> they actually bust in girls from an all girls school to have the prom. And he was King, he was voted king of the prom. That's not what's going on in my brain story. <laughs> it's an all-boys school, and girls were bust in from the east side. <laughs> girls were bust in from the hard luck stories at the convent. <laughs> oh, okay, that's appropriate. So, <laughs> all right. There was something that we did way back in the show's history. Mm-hmm. And fortunately, somebody else set us up for it. It was like t-ball right that was already there all we had to do was hit it which is way back brian dancy you listen to the show at all you at least know the name 
he made some predictions for the role-playing industry as it would be in 2007. Mm. All right, so now it's obviously 2017. And Was he right about any of them? Not really. Actually, we challenged him, and because yeah. not thinking anybody but Mom listened to the show, yeah, yeah, we had a response to it. We used it as a talking point, and we gave our counter-predictions. And in retrospect, he did get some right, but sure. we, I believe... If memory serves, actually, if we were keeping score, if we were keeping score, score we did outscore him. But he actually listened to it and then wanted to come on the show to discuss it, which absolutely blew our minds that anyone once again was listening to the show, much less somebody who was fairly high up in the industry. And so we were kicking stuff around, you know, prior to recording as we always do. And for once, it was not a stray animal; it was actually a show topic. <laughs> and what we were thinking about is what do you think the future of gaming looks like? All right, now, where we got started on this was one of the things that we were wondering is why are certain games played in certain ways with certain expectations? And one of the conclusions we came to conversationally as we were sitting here was that role-playing is largely a social tradition. It's an oral tradition, right? There are some people that go to the sh- hobby shop and they pick up a book and they, they go home and they get started completely cold. But a lot of people enter the hobby because someone they knew role-played and someone they knew introduced them to role-playing and got them started down that track. I mean, I know many, many, many people that's true of in my own group, including me. You know, Chad was the one who introduced me to the concept of a role-playing game. Your mother hated me. <laughs> she, she said I was such a bad influence on you. Uh, yeah, there's a native episode in that. but <laughs> And the Pepsi bottle. And the mad milk. But anyway. Mad, it's mad milk. I had to put it down. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now I have to explain oh that one. Oh, my God. I love mad milk mad- so much. <laughs> so stupid it was so stupid but it was so funny so my parents instead of buying like milk in like like nowadays you go out and you get milk and you tend to get it in those plastic jugs or like we're doing the overrice thing now where they bring it they actually have a milk man come out and gives us and who meets with your butler who yes in the consignment at the service meets with my butler yes right and and drops off like bottled milk in like a, a cooler or whatever and back in the day my parents would always buy milk in these cardboard cartons, mm-hmm. similar to what you see now. Half gallons, I believe. Yeah, and it's really similar to what you see now for like milk quarts or pints, where it's in like these little, you know, like, like these these cardboard containers, yeah. and you're like you know, you, with the top flap, you tear it open. If you consume and, soy milk, you know exactly what's going on, except there's no screw top where you can take a cap off. Yeah, I think to- they still use these in schools. Where, you, like I said, you like tear open or tear back the top mm-hmm. flap and then push it forward. And that creates kind of like a diamond shape that you drink out of. And that's what my parents used to buy milk in. Or you pour it into a glass, you savage. Well, I... I might. <laughs> You're going to pour a pint of milk in, or a half pint of milk or whatever it is into a glass. Or a quart of half and half if you're me. <laughs> <laughs> but... <Ew. laughs> they, Yes, I did drink it out of a glass. I'm just explaining how the mechanism worked. Brodor. 
We thought you'd be the pedantic ass on this show. <laughs> yeah, right? I know. <laughs> so what... <laughs> Chad and I had this thing where he'd be over at my house. Because we had gallon jugs because we were really rich. So we had like the big milk. And so, and so what we would do is I would take that, that I don't know, whatever it was, a large carton of milk, half yeah. gallon, whatever the heck it was. And I'd shake it really, really hard and then put it down. And with the flap still closed, you could squeeze it. And all of this bubbled milk would come like oozing foam, up and man. foam out of <laughs> like a, a rabid dog like a rabid yes. dog and so we and so now, mind you in case anybody's like well this is so f-ing lame <laughs> yeah we were nine it was, we were, it was hilarious we were older than nine but we, we were young <laughs> okay, okay nine and a half it's <laughs> all about rabies milk yes <laughs> yes and so so we would basically have our own like old yeller thing where we'd shake up the milk <laughs> it wasn't funny until the dog died <laughs> And so we <laughs> and so we shake it up and we 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 put it down then squeeze it so it start foaming at the mouth and it was I mean quite an impressive foam yeah and then we just go and that there's mad milk it's got hydrophobia we're gonna have to put it down blam glug 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 which, I mean, when we were like 12, was hilarious. This yeah. Was, and I, of course, we're laughing at it now that we're in our 40s. Yeah. But it's it, silly. Yeah, yeah. It was okay. So it was an innocent time. Right. It was good, clean humor. It was, I mean, yes. Back before you had to talk about sex and right. racism for Mad Milk to be funny, mm-hmm. we were kind of like the, uh, <laughs> the, the Mitch Hedberg of our day. <laughs> we could be funny just uh, talking about ducks. I loved him. <laughs> I loved him too. It's too bad he had to. Uh, go out and kill himself on heroin. So, now that we've gone from Mad Milk to Mitch Hedberg to dying on heroin, back to role-playing games. Mm -hmm. So, the thing that we were kicking around is with role-playing being such a heavily verbal and social hobby that is is very much generationally passed down. And we identified several traits of the hobby that we believe are only there or only true because of the fact that it's social inertia. It's just tradition, right? This is the way it's always been done, whatever. And so we started conjecturing about what do we think role-playing will look like in a generation. Now, by generation, I don't mean when everyone's listening to this is dead. What I'm talking about is, let's just say, 10, 20 years. Because I think you probably see a new generation enter the hobby about at that rate, about every 10, 20 years. In fact, if you look at the ebb and flow of role-playing, it went in roughly 10-year cycles. The 1970s, you had the advent of role-playing. In the 1980s, you had the heavy crunch, the satanic panic. You had new companies springing up, you know, things branching out in other direction. In the 90s, you got away from a lot of the heavy combat stuff, and suddenly narrative through White Wolf became much more important. In the 2000s, you had the D20 boom, the sudden introduction of smaller presses and independent games and and self-publishing and all this stuff. And now we seem to sit in an age where things are kind of reconsolidating, where folks are still making their own products and still doing small press stuff, but we kind of seem to be recoalescing into a somewhat small number, bigger than it was in the 80s, but a somewhat small number 
of larger publishers that kind of seem to be dominating the market. At least that's my take on things right now. I don't really see that. I mean, I agree with everything you said. Just I, I don't really necessarily agree that you're getting large players taking over the well, market. Look, I guess let me rephrase that then, because I think I think you are correct. Because, I mean, look at Kickstarter. There are lots and lots of games. I mean, the indie scene has the flavor of the week all the time. Right, right. And I, I think, let me rephrase that to say that I think consolidation would be a better phrase than to say large press. Right. Because I, I think you are correct to say it. Because, yes, there are some really big, quote-unquote, titans of the industry, at least as much as titans as you can have in the role-playing industry. You have Wizards of the Coast, which is, of course, attached to an actual industrial titan, uh, which is Hasbro. Were you about to say Tyrant? I don't know what I was about to say <laughs> there. Uh, but you have Paizo, which we'll mm-hmm. sort of call you know a, a titan of the industry, once again, within the context of a role-playing game. But then you have a lot of other companies where talent is consolidating, titles are consolidating, but it's not huge companies. Onyx Path is a great example. Onyx Path has not only picked up a lot of the White Wolf stuff, but they're also doing Pugmire, and, and you can find all that kind of stuff. You know, Alderac Entertainment's another one that I'd put in that category. Uh, Evil Hat's another one that I'd put in that category. You know, started off as a garage thing, but they're, they've got quite a stable of, you know, pretty big titles. And at least within role players, you know, these are going to be household names. And so I think that's more what I was getting at, I guess, than... To necessarily say that these are going to be large companies. Mm-hmm. Because, no, it's not like the 80s, I suppose, where you had... You had three. You know, you had, like, A, B, and C, and oh, yeah. A and B were the only ones that mattered. Yeah, you had you had TSR, you had Palladium, you had FASA. Right. I'm sure there's a couple well, in there. Well, there were others in there, but they weren't anywhere near. Yeah, and then by the time you hit the 90s, I mean, you had... Was it the big six? Mm-hmm. And I, I can't remember what the big six were, but, of course, add on uh, by this point... White Wolf, and I don't remember what the big six were exactly at the time, but the point being. And so here we go. Okay, let's start with, here's our predictions for what role-playing will look like in 10 or 20 years. Okay. Oh, so, good, 10 or 20 years. Excellent. So, yeah, so I'm nobody's he, going to remember this. I'm glad he expanded the time frame, though. Yes. yes. Well, because said, my, my answer requires further future. I, I, well, <laughs> I, said, I said in a generation, actual generations come about every 20 to 25 years. A but, cohort, if you will. But role-playing generations seem to happen about every 10 years. Well, we'll put it in that range, okay? So if we're wrong in 10 years, we'll just say, give us another 15. We're going to be like... <laughs> we'll just run out the clock. Yeah, we're, we're just going to run down the clock. This is going to be like Harold Camping, except in the role-playing game verse, we're just going to basically take a knee until we run out of life. So I have no clue anything you referenced there. Okay. Harold Camping was the guy who made about 25 predictions on when the world was going to end based on ah. Bible calculations, quote unquote. And uh, taking a knee is a thing in, in football, American football, where... So you mixed metaphors on two things I don't follow. I did. Yes, Excellent. I did. Taking Excellent. a knee is basically where you run down the clock by literally uh, one of the players that's holding the ball will simply drop to a knee, and that just knocks the clock out and ends the game. Hmm. So That sounds pretty <laughs> Well, if you want my opinion, it is. <laughs> See, my opinion, though, on a lot of things football-oriented is not terribly popular because I also believe that punting on a fourth down is a sign of weakness. But I don't know what that means. Oh, I, I'll tell you what it means. I lost every <laughs> game of Madden I ever played. <laughs> <laughs> but I refuse to say I was wrong. Because <laughs> I still think punting on a fourth no. down shows a lack of faith in your players. 
but fair but i lost every madden game i played because of this all right but (laughs) you didn't wait for these metaphors back to role playing all right so one of my predictions is that i think that we will continue to see gatekeepers of quality now what i mean by gatekeepers of quality is once upon a time right so back in the 80s that's a great band name by the way the gatekeepers of quality yeah i like that a lot mispronounce they'll say gatekeepers of equality or gatekeepers of Qualis? Qualia? Qualia? I, yeah. I don't know. Gatekeepers of Qualia would be far more fascinating. Google that one. I'm not going to another tangent. But, <laughs> yes, I will. Just give no me time. No clue what you're talking about. <laughs> what show am I on? <laughs> Who are you? Where's John? He would agree with me. God damn it. He said He said before we started recording that this would be a bonus episode. <laughs> oh, I, I don't know. My All right. Or a tangential episode. Yes. I, I, say something salacious. Talk about <laughs> farts or something i don't care bro or first of all me. it's called a queef <laughs> and <laughs> it's you. perfectly natural when air gets pounded in it's gotta come out thank you <laughs> thank you i know what a queef is i can follow that now dan continue with your illogical crazy blithering all right <laughs> so, and they sound something like <laughs> really i've always got a like <laughs> now we're onto a thing. <laughs> if, if you're getting that much of an airy noise, that's not dog in a hallway. That's like that's like sand coming up. That's sandblasting. Tell, tell you that about is. how I lost my virginity. <laughs> no, she okay. sounded like. <laughs> <laughs> what? The oh, hell there was an air intake. I don't know where it came from. <laughs> Huh. But you're 12 and you don't know and you just. <laughs> oh, okay. I don't know what. what now this... I remember why I'm here. <laughs> Dan, this is your fault. <laughs> I blame you. So, okay. Sorry, a gatekeepers of quality. <laughs> gatekeepers of quality. I'm, I'm going to explain that. That's my new techno dance band. Yeah. <laughs> so, the gatekeepers of quality. So, back in the 1980s and 90s, because of the fact that self publication was not really possible, you had obviously a time where you had gatekeepers of publication. Right. A game was not going to get out there unless either Widely. they yeah. published it or you stapled it together, put it in a local game shop, and you got lucky. The mm-hmm. way that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which was published that way at first, got lucky. Mm-hmm. The yeah. comic book. The comic book, no, not the role-playing game. But you know, it's that kind of roll of the dice. If you go forward to the age of self-publication... Drive through RPG PDFs, mm-hmm. you know, turn on demand publication through Ingram or through Amazon or whatever. And suddenly anybody could do anything, and you got this flood of stuff into the market. Well, what seems to have happened, and maybe it's this, like podcasting. Well, yeah. Anybody can do it. That's its greatest advantage. And anybody can do it is its problem. Right. And it seems like. Not what, that we're judging. We're totally judging. <laughs> <laughs> Depends on who you're talking about, but maybe. But maybe the term that I should have used earlier was not companies or company mm-hmm. size, but rather it was the brands that if you see this or that brand, you know that it's up to a certain standard. It's up to a certain type of game. Maybe, you know, for example, there's a type of game you can expect from evil hat. Now that may not be as true of some other companies. Some companies may have much more diverse rule sets mm-hmm. and things like and settings and whatever, and things like that. But like that crap morning sky studio puts out, but you know, when you go to a particular company name, this is what you can expect. And that seems to be 
becoming, if not already there, the happy medium between the two extremes of only these handful of companies can do it and everybody can do it. I really think the majority of consumption in the future, probably not even the distant future, is going to come through these gatekeepers, through these people who basically by putting their stamp on it, have said, we vet that this is of a certain quality and a certain usefulness. I disagree. 100%. Go ahead. It, all right. Defend that. Not that I would say that, you know, there aren't going to be big companies who are going to put out quality products. You're absolutely right. Right. They will. And, and they're going to have a reputation, which is actually exactly what you're saying. I believe we've already seen this change with crowdfunding. Now, I'm not a big fan of Kickstarter. Uh, big fan of Patreon, by the way. But... While I'm not a big fan of Kickstarter, a lot of role-playing games have been put out that way. So I look at my own experience with, with role-playing, with writing a role-playing game. You know, I my project goal is zero money spent. Zero money's taken in, zero money spent, and then I give you a product for zero money's coming in to me. You get a certain level of quality with it. You don't get artwork, you don't get layouts, except for one game where that one guy whose name I forgot because I'm an asshole did the uh, layouts for me. For free. But generally speaking, you know, that, that's the level of quality you get. Unless you're like some sort of writer, artist, layout guy where you have this this cross-section of skills, that's not me, right? That person can maybe put that out. But with crowdfunding, you can get that. It's like, okay, I, maybe I have a reputation for being a writer, but I can't draw or doing the layout. I can't do I can't I have no idea how to do publish stuff. But if I get some money in, then maybe I could get some layout work done. And I can maybe if I get a little bit more money in, I could hire some people that I know who are good artists and maybe put a little bit of artwork in there. Maybe I could get another writer in and you know kind of expand the you concept know, but, a bit. But I, I think the thing though, and I I think you are seeing that now. No, I I agree. I think the the way that I would counterbalance that back in my in favor is by saying you're wrong, bitch, and. No, I, I, it's more to say I think we may not be as far apart as, as right. you believe we are. So I guess, yeah, you are wrong. Just, <laughs> just, just, just not wrong about your point. Nice. Just wrong about everything else yes, in my life. Yes, about the context of yes. that point, everything surrounding that point, mm -hmm. the negative space. Yes. But the I, you, as it were. <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> but I, the thing that I think you're already seeing is there are still those gatekeepers of quality, but now it takes the form of, what is your reputation, reputation on Kickstarter? Reputation of the individual. Yeah. yeah. Well, what is the reputation of the individual? Do you have a reputation on Kickstarter? Right. Is this your first rodeo? If not Kickstarter, do you have a reputation from somewhere else? Mm -hmm. Are you Monty Cook, but, for example? Right. If it's not that, then I think I've seen a third path, which still ends up in the same place, which is who is supporting you? Let me give you a great example. Now, uh, Pete, who we just interviewed, right? He's got a great product he came up with. Completely, you know, I assume, we'll just say on his own, all right? It's his product. He's doing the heavy lifting. He's running the Kickstarter. I don't mean for a moment to insinuate that somehow Fear the Boot has a slice of that. But when we got in there and said, we think this is a great idea, we think this is a reasonable and reliable person doing it, I mean, it's still got, at least on some level, to some number of people that Fear the Boot brand stamped on it. Well, and I also think that we are going to continue to have in the future, because as great as Kickstarter is, and as much as the retail industry doesn't like the fact that Kickstarter is a reality that's here to stay, 
you still have, and I don't know the stats like I used to, but statistically, the number of games that get sold via Kickstarter pales in comparison to the number of games that are going to get sold in game stores through the normal three-tier distribution right. model, right? So I think that you're still going to have in the future those tastemakers, you know, mm. the, the fear, the boots, the other podcasts, you know, the bloggers, whatever, that are promoting games. But you're also going to have companies like Evil Hat or Indie Press Revolution that believe in a product and they go out to not co-opt, but to champion that product in the industry to the general public that may not be aware of it on Kickstarter or mm -hmm. what other crowdfunding sources are out there. Sure. And, and you're already seeing this with video games. You get the AAA publishers who could go out there and they can promote the game on their own. You know, they can pay for an ad in the Super Bowl. Chad, that's, that's a football championship. <laughs> It's not like a cooking show? No. Yeah. Oh, okay. I, I really thought it was like a, a commercial competition. Like an, like that's an, all you ever hear Like about. an advertisement competition. Yeah. Yes. Advertisement. I said advertisement. I, you know <laughs> Aluminium. <laughs> Suck it. <laughs> okay. Uh, but anywho, so... I think, Aluminium. <laughs> you son of a bitch. <laughs> But you have this already with video games where the AAA publishers can go out there and they can pay for their own advertisements. They can pay for their own TV commercials or trailers before major motion pictures or whatever it is they're doing. But then you also have these people who are the tastemakers, as you call them, that are on YouTube or whatever. Yeah. The people like Boogie, the people like a Total Biscuit, the people like... PewDiePie or whatever. Yeah, people, no, not anymore, people, PewDiePie. Alpha gamers is what we used to call them right. you know, in the retail industry. But but, but yeah. I think yeah. what you're seeing there is a sign and portent of the entertainment industry in general. And I think role-playing games are not a very long distance behind this, if they're any distance behind it at all. You, know, you get somebody like Paizo or, or whomever that can go out and can afford to sponsor Gen Con and have yeah. their stuff everywhere. But then you get, you know, groups like us. But, you know, we don't have the financial reach of these companies. But we have spent... <laughs> yeah, you spent it on polo horses, goddamn. <laughs> I know, I spent it on the hell. <laughs> but, but, you know, we do have an audience that we've earned. Sure. And we do have the ability to draw people's attention to things. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I have been told that way, by the people themselves that way back when, you know, our brief love affair with Savage Worlds noticeably shifted its sales. Mm -hmm. Don't know how much. I am my my I love could... affair with Savage Worlds is like my love affair with my wife. I met it while I was young and I'll love it till I die. And you know, oh. while I, I don't have it as directly of a source just by watching when certain things got timed. I get the sense that we impacted Blades I love of the Dark. Savage Worlds like I love your wife. I've done them both, but I don't like them. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Continue. All right. So, second prediction. So, here's what I think. I think that in the future, role-playing games are going to be like intercourse. There's going to be a robot. There's going to be an artificially intelligent thing with such a complex algorithm that it reads the party, learns what they like, learns what they don't like, and 
caters its game mastering to the party. And uh, okay, for a moment, let me put aside, you know, wild far future theoretical stuff here. You think this will happen within the next 10 to 25 years? No, probably not. But 10 it to 25? Such a, it's such a fun idea. 10? Not really? 25? I mean, are we going to assume that there's not going to be like World War Three, or yeah, there's yeah, not going to yeah, be like right. some crazy, like we are on the trajectory we are yes. now of l- l- progress? Let's, let's assume you sure. could take all, all, point, all data points from the past you know, a couple we, centuries and just maybe not a robot it. like like an android robot, but like a story box, you know, something with speakers, you know, something with microphones so it can, and, you know, something, some ability to interact with us, but not necessarily be sure. animatronic. Dan, think of it this way. What was the Internet like 25 years ago? I mean, yeah, in terms of household access and such, it was fundamentally nothing. I mean, right. it did exist. But 25 oh, yeah. years ago, it was fundamentally nothing. The World Wide Web had yet to come online, to the best of my knowledge. Well, I mean, there is some debate over exactly what constitutes right, right. the World Wide Web. But as we know it, it's certainly not yet come online. I mean, gracious, 25 years ago, I'm terrible at head math here. But we're talking about, what, like 1992? So, I think so. Yeah, so 1992, ugh. I mean, this was back about the time that you and I... We're getting ready to start playing. What if I in, like the Shadow Run mush? What if I sat down with you in 1992 and I told you in 25 years from now we will have self-driving cars? Yeah, like well, I'm not saying he's wrong. I'm, I I don't know is what I guess what I'm saying. I'm not saying I, I'm not dogmatically rejecting this prediction. Yeah. Prediction. I, I I just don't know. I'm not sure is I guess mm-hmm. what I'll say because there's a lot of soft and fuzzy thinking. That goes into the human mind. There's a lot of contradiction. Particularly mine. <laughs> well, I mean, no, the human mind in general, it's full of contradiction. It's full of all kinds of things that, I mean, computers fundamentally work off of Boolean logic. There's a series of operators, and ultimately they result in either true or false. And the human mind does not always work that way. And now it's not to say, I'm not going to say these things can't be jumped, mm-hmm. right? I know there's been all kinds of theoretical stuff for years, and Forms of computing, I don't even fully understand, but even just things like three-state computing, where there's true, false, and something in the middle. You know, what does that portend? What does that mean if you actually go somewhere with that? I don't know. But it's an interesting idea. So I was sort of half-kidding about that. Like, I mean, because I, I, I don't have any true understanding of of the technology or the advancement of technology. It's magical. Dan and I are wizards. Pre- well, no, and I, I have said that before. <laughs> but... I really do think we are starting to see today a trend that I predict will continue in the future. And you saw it with 3.0 Dungeons and Dragons and the open gaming license. We have created a game and we are going to give you the opportunity to create content that utilizes the game that we have created as long as you give some sort of tribute and credit to the game that we created. Look at uh, Apocalypse World, for example, and all the various hacks of Apocalypse World. I think that in the future, you're going to see perhaps a game system get created and crowdfunded on a Kickstarter-like platform, for example, and then probably be backed by a, a tastemaker or a, a gatekeeper of quality. What did we call them? The gatekeepers of what? Quality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the gatekeepers of quality, right? And then maybe a larger company that has those sort of connections in publishing and distribution pick them up and then start to produce the variations or hacks of that type of game. Mm -hmm. I think that what we're going to see in the future is an expansion of 
online tools and online gaming, especially as people get more apart and are able to connect with people who are further and further away with ease. I think you're already seeing a lot of online gaming happening. It's just a matter of accessibility and tools and and then desire. I'm not so egotistical as to think that it is going to supplant face-to-face gaming. In fact, if I were to make a prediction that is just, you know, wild sort of prediction, look at it this way. Music. You have MP3s you can download, whether you want to do it legally or not, just more music than you have the ability to listen to. You can own all that and put it on a small personal device. You do not, there's not enough time in your life to listen to all the music that you can store and own. And what happened? I mean, that's great. That's great technology. That's wonderful to have. And people are doing it in droves. And look what happened. They went back to vinyl. In Britain, Vinyl sales eclipsed digital sales, and it's happening here in America, too. I don't think it's quite happened yet. I have a person who collects vinyl, and the reason I did it, because it's complete anecdotal here, is because I wanted to slow it down. The music process, I wanted to slow it down and kind of, you know, I wanted to discover and get back to it. I'm glad to hear you say that for a completely self-serving reason, Mm -hmm. which is in Epoch of Rysos, one of the things that I wrote into its backstory was that... Uh, Not Watchtower, what's it? Oh, uh, Lookout Radio. Lookout Radio, win, win! Uh, Actually, there's more done on that than I've told anyone. (gasps) But... The the I think I just chubbed up. <laughs> the point being, Empire Rises. Put things, a little blood in it. I can see. Yeah, one yeah. of the things that I wrote in there was that you know all these great far future technologies, mm-hmm. humanity got them, and found that it was still kind of empty. Yeah, and they're not a fad anymore. Yeah, it's not that they can't do it, but it's just kind of like, or that they think it's bad. Like like I love vinyl music. All right. And I don't think that digital music is... I think it's wonderful. I, I still have a lot of digital music because you know what? I can't... When I go to the gym, I can't take my record player with me. Yeah, you could, <laughs> but... Well, I could, but, you know, I'd get a lot of strange looks. But uh, do you even spin, bro? But... Uh, <laughs> I was just thinking about how swole you would be if you were constantly carrying <laughs> yeah, your record yeah. and like, enormous speed. Like, yeah, like you have like yeah. a 1980s ghetto blaster, but instead it's like the a full, like, well, 40 pound turntable. Yeah, I, I mean, I have to do the turntable. I have to carry the crates of vinyl because you don't know what you want to listen to right there. You need the head unit. You need an amplifier. You got to have the speakers. I mean, it takes me like. It's like the sex Gestapo. Yeah. The head unit. <laughs> it takes. <laughs> It takes me 45 minutes just to set up, and that's before I work out. (laughs) But no, I think that you might see, again, not backlash. These tools are great. People love the tools, and they use the tools. But I think that you'll see people kind of come back to this idea of, man, man, I really like face-to-face gaming. You see it in board gaming. Yeah. I mean, in the the gaming industry, board Mm -hmm. gaming has made a huge resurgence, I think, for two reasons. One, I think it's generational. And that it's accepted now that it's okay to be into this sort of nerdy stuff. But also, I think you see a backlash against, you know, the video gaming culture, that isolation and lack of human human interaction. I mean, I love this. Even when mm. I'm sitting here not contributing to the episode in terms of speaking, I get to watch you 
listen to you, see your body language and be part of that exchange. Even if I'm not necessarily contributing, I'm trying to concentrate. I cannot deal. <laughs> I'm just trying to think of how knotted your hair is getting around your nipples. But, <laughs> but, but I think you're absolutely right. I don't think that this level of interaction of being in the same physical space and being able mm-hmm. to communicate on that human level, I don't think it's ever going to go away. Right. All right. I'm going to make a statement. And I'm going to explain it because I think you hate Shakespeare. I'm actually not a huge fan, but that's not where I was going. This is a, I have a great song for you. Okay. It's, it's from a musical I just saw called Something Rotten. It's called I Really Hate Shakespeare. <laughs> and the, the whole song is about how much Shakespeare sucks and how much this guy hates Shakespeare. Huh, I'll you to. will love it. I'll, you will love it. I'll have to see if I agree with it. We that. all saw it, saw the play, and we were talking about how much you will love this song. Who is we? Um, me, Pat, Beth, Dawn. Okay, okay. I didn't know who we was in yeah. the story. All right, so here's... All of your enemies, all <laughs> of your friends conspiring together my, my, to talk my, about your musical tastes. My frenemies, you guys are like the Stalin to my Hitler. Ex-girlfriends, former wives. <laughs> <laughs> Future partners. So, um, that I'd like to know about. <laughs> I mean, oh no, it's the cabal. We're totally secret. Because I've want, said too much already. I want to start early. But <laughs> so that's where it's going to go anyway. I mean... You can't stop fate. I mean, um, yeah, Carlo's opinion is ultimately (laughs) going going to become irrelevant. So we might as well just get there. Wow. (laughs) Wow. That's amazing. (laughs) But all right. So I can't wait to get home and use that line. (laughs) (laughs) So Dan at feartheboot.com and send your condolences to Brodor. (laughs) Or Brodor's Facebook page. This is going tomorrow. You can absolutely do whatever you want on Brodor's Facebook page. (laughs) So, all right. No, no. This one, let me explain it because I think at first it's going to uh, rankle a few more people than it, it needs to. So I'm going to make the statement and explain it. The statement is that I don't think D&D is going to mean nearly as much as it does right now. Now, the re- <gasps> let me ex- now, here's my explanation of what I, what I mean by that. Do I mean that I think D&D is going to disappear? No. Do I mean some, you know, grognard thing that, well, 5th edition, you know, D&D ain't what it used to be, and so it's crap now? No, that's not at all what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that when the hobby got its start, you know, especially with people that are our age and older, D&D was the first entry into the hobby. I mean, we're, we won't count chainmail, but D&D in one iteration or another was the first entry into the hobby. There was a long time where D&D was shorthand for role-playing game. Right. It was, it was like Kleenex for facial tissue. If you said D&D, you meant a role-playing game. I think that's still the case for a lot of people outside of the hobby. I think that's changing. Yeah, I think that to Pathfinder's detriment, many people still refer to it as D&D and yeah. not Pathfinder. Well, and they people ha- who are not into it and don't understand it, I, you know, it's like, oh, I do t- role-playing games. No, not video games. Tabletop role-playing games. And I try to avoid saying D&D. I always come down the path where I have to say, like D&D. Oh! Yeah. It, well, and, and this was something that we in our interview with Paizo asked them about was, does it bother you that people call Pathfinder D and D 3.75? That that's one of its more popular colloquial names. And I think that's more what I'm trying to get at that. I think two things. First, you're going to get more and more people that are entering the hobby whose entry point is not D and D or a direct byproduct thereof. Okay. 
So I think that's point in the first. Point in the second is that I think that D&D itself has become rather fragmented because of the fact that you have multiple editions of D&D, many of which are still in play at once. You have Pathfinder, which is obviously a derivative of D&D, arguably an edition of D&D, which is being played and supported at the same time as these other editions of D&D. You have you know, the various gaming licenses that allow people to make spin-off or hack-type products. And I think over time, what's going to happen is what we know as D&D is going to become so fragmented or so incredibly generic that it's going to go from just being shorthand for a role-playing game to really almost not quite having a meaning. You know, it's like, I'm I'm struggling to think of a good example, but I don't know. It'd just be like if I told you something like, well, I'm a connoisseur. Well, connoisseur what? Right? It's it's a term that, you know, or if you use I hate good things. Yeah, good <laughs> things. What is what does that mean? And I think it's kind of a similar thing where and you see this in politics and, and religion and stuff already, where people start to hedge away from saying I'm this or that because the term it implies things that aren't true. And so the term becomes so fragmented and so nuanced that unless you have 15 hyphens before it, the term is almost meaningless. Right. When you tell someone, I play Dungeons and Dragons, you are immediately in a box. Now, if you tell someone, I'm into role-playing games, they assume, like you pointed out, I'm pointing at Chad, obviously you can see that. Uh, (laughs) Like you pointed out, people assume you're talking about video Video games. games. But I I think you're right. But I also think that the, the real genie that's out of the bottle is that there is a collective acceptance of gamers to be willing to deviate from a game like Dungeons and Dragons to different genres and to different mechanic types and to different sort of, if you'll, you know, touchy feely sort of game masterless games. And I think that trend will continue. Well, and certainly what happens when culturally, you go from a generation where when we got into the hobby, there were three companies and damn it, we were happy to have them to when I got into the hobby, there were 3000 people you know, or brand right. names of no publishing. I'm just making numbers up here. Probably there's a lot more than that mm-hmm. putting out products and you don't have, I mean, now, yes, it is still true that the good old Pareto principle, the 80-20 rule, that 80% of gaming happens in 20% of its titles. I, I completely recognize this is true. But I once again, I think the the singular soul identity that D&D has and its place in the hobby, I think is I don't think it's going to be as firm as it is today, or certainly was 10, 20 years ago if we look 10, 20 years in the future. Sure. I mean, and I think that's, that's true of, of, of anything, really. I mean, if you look at board gaming, Settlers of Catan is a really, really great game. But I often tell people that Settlers of Catan is like white box D&D. It, I'm glad it exists, but the hobby has evolved so much. Right. There are other things that I would rather do and engage with. Mm-hmm. And the hobby is going to continue to evolve. I think the way that the hobby is going to evolve, though, is going to involve technology. I think that we've kind of, we're going to have new and interesting role-playing game concepts and new and interesting ways to play role-playing games because it's always kind of evolving and morphing and, and, and carrying on and progressing. But I think that 
you know, access and connections with other people are going to be a big part. The technology is going to make that happen. I think that, you know, what Dan is saying is true where, where you have, you don't have six companies, you have thousands upon thousands of individuals putting your stuff out, their stuff out there, which is, that's what Gary Gygax said should happen for role-playing games. He just did not predict technology to do it. So Gary Gygax was right, but I think that technology is going to come along and in some ways is already here to be able to find that uh, out of that sea of static and noise of all these different kinds. What do I want? What do I like? And to be able to match my profile and data up with the stuff that would appeal to me and kind of bump those out more, not, not darken all the, the rest of the stack, but kind of bump those out more to where I can find those titles and see them and explore them. I think that that is going to be a big thing. I mean, we already have that. Go on Amazon and buy a couple of things and then see what they put forward for you. Go to Netflix, start rating titles. Right, and that's and where then, I was going with Storybox yeah. is that it's going to learn your decision-making, yeah. your appetites, and it's going to cater your gaming experience to those appetites and preferences. Yeah, you know, when you guys were talking about technology and gaming, yet also still the lingering interest in face-to-face gaming, the sort of nostalgia, I I don't know what to call it, but kind of, you know, the ebb and flow of fads, Mm -hmm. right? Where MP3s are a big thing, but now in certain parts of the world, vinyl is outselling it. There's one of the things I saw fairly recently that kind of struck me as interesting. It was an electronic gaming setup. I think it was a table that they're trying to market now. And what this table does, now mind you, it is a single table, single place, right? But what it does is board games. So it's an electronic function that still is there for social board gaming. I would love something like that for Arkham Horror so I could do away with two hours of setup and two hours of teardown. <laughs> yeah. And have something like that. Yeah, it's called two, Tabletop Simulator. Two, two hours. What game are you playing? Yeah. I mean, we're here all. It's it's like you're playing Twilight Imperium. It's a right. job. Yeah. yeah. I played Twilight Imperium once. I'm sorry. I do think that the setup lasted longer than the game. Because it it allowed people to still play the game in the traditional sense without a lot of the things that went along with it. And so it's it's a weird sort of mushing together you know that it's kind of that retro future sort of thing and i wonder if that's going to be something we're going to see where i don't think the social elements are going to disappear when i wrote those those columns for our blog on my views of spaceships and capital ship combat and then i did the bonus episode on it there was a point that i don't i know i didn't talk about in the written articles i don't think i got to in the the audio version either. But one of the things that a lot of people pointed out about spaceships is it would be a hell of a lot easier to do if you didn't use people. Because yeah. human beings... And that's what NASA's doing. Right, well, right. But, but here's where I'm going to take that. Let me follow this through all the way. People require life support. We require air. We require living space. We require exercise, which requires exercise equipment. We, calls. we have to eat, we have to drink, we have to go to the bathroom. We feel the suffering pain of casualties and injury. We have to socialize, we have social baggage, we suffer medical conditions. 
I mean, the list we're will, awesome. The, the, <laughs> we are a heat. We have to be environmentally insulated. We have to be kept at a relatively narrow temperature range, protected from radiation exposure. I mean, there's all these things, right, that figure into it that would not be true of a well-insulated circuit board. Mm-hmm. But here's why I don't buy it, and I don't think that's where the future is, is because of the fact that we as a species, we are way too focused on the social experience. Now, I understand that we may send probes out. We're doing it already because it's a whole lot more feasible than sending a person out. But do I believe that once we have the technology to do so, we will be content having not gone there ourselves to see it with our own eyes, to touch it with our own hands? I don't buy it. I just don't buy it. It's a very romantic notion that costs $100 trillion. Absolutely. (laughs) And that's why am I saying this is tomorrow? No. Right. But this is why I'm saying, for example, I think right now there's a resurgence in vinyl. And it's why From I'm vinyl thinking, to Mars. <laughs> yeah. And it's also why I think it is more likely that you are going to see something like an electronic tabletop yeah. than you would, for example, a fully AI automated, like I'm the only real human being in a quote unquote room of six people. Yeah. How great would it be to have that sort of touch screen tabletop and you're playing fiasco and the and the index cards just come up from the bottom there is a game called tabletop simulator does it do fiasco not officially does it (laughs) It does very little officially yes it just kind of exists officially but in terms of illegal mods yeah you can do anything you want nothing stops you from opening ms word and retyping a novel and in the same way, there's a lot of games on uh, Tabletop Simulator that aren't supposed to be there. Yep. And, I'll just leave it at that. And it, it's VR compatible, too. So you want to sit at your table? Yeah, buy your VR headset. And then suddenly you're sitting at the table. You're flipping car. All Tabletop Simulator is is a physics engine. It creates a tabletop. It has all the pieces. And there's gravity and stuff. And you can flip things. And it doesn't play the game for you. You have to play the game. But the thing is, you could play the game with somebody in Moscow. You can play the game with somebody in Chicago and you don't actually have to buy the game to play it because, <laughs> again, getting to the illegal right. odds part. But, yeah, it, and it's there. And tabletops, all that. Ah, anytime somebody starts talking about board games and how they're like, oh, I wish I could play a board game with somebody, my friend in California, or, man, I wish I could try out this board game before I buy it, or I've got an idea where I'm making a board game, but, man, I just can't cut out all the little pieces and make the little stuff and we've solved it. We've solved the problem. It's there. It's tabletop. It's not perfect, but it answers all these problems. Sorry. Sorry. Continue. Go on. I think I may be about ready to start trolling my own host because watching this amount of (laughs) (laughs) watching the steam coming out of your ears. I I almost think I would have to keep. Because it's been, it's been out for years. I bought it. I tried to sell everybody on it when everybody was really big into board games, but nobody had the time to get over to right, somebody's right, house right. and we couldn't afford $100. So, so, so Broder, let, yeah. let me go back to something you were talking All about. Right. Settlers of Catan being an entry point into the hobby. You go right now to places like Target, to places like Walmart, general stores, right? Not weird boutique stores or FLGSs or whatever. You go to these major stores and they are now carrying a lot of these, what we previously would have called, you know, very boutique type games like Settlers of Catan, which right now I don't think many people would consider that anymore. One of the things that I saw that really bumped its profile because it reached a demographic that I don't think would have otherwise been reached, or at least not so quickly, 
A little bit of trivia here, Chad. I'm going to span worlds again. Ooh. In the 2014 to 2015 football season. Oh, my God. <laughs> by the time that you got to where there were only four teams left in the playoffs. What's a playoff? <laughs> I know what a playoff. Uh, two of them had something in common. The Indiana- they were both nerds. <laughs> Uh, well, depending on how you define it, yep. two of the teams were the Indianapolis Colts and the Green Bay Packers. Both teams were balls deep in Settlers of Catan. Hmm. Like, now, mind you, they're in the playoffs. Four teams left, right? Two of these teams are going to make the Super Bowl or the advertisement bowl or whatever. <laughs> the Lori or whatever it is you're calling it. The Lori Lou. I, I don't know. Right. The, the pram with a whole the bunch aluminium of aluminum cup. With a bunch, <laughs> which a bunch of extra and unnecessary use, but two of these teams are going to go all the way, right? And make and there's a lot yeah, of they are balls <laughs> deep all the way. Uh-huh. But the point is that they were playing Settlers of Catan. A lot of sports journals picked up on this and were like, "What is it these guys are doing?" Because I mean, you got the sports reporters that at times will be in the locker room and they see the entire offensive line. Uh, the Green Bay Packers throwing down on this board game. And then one journalist called out this 300-pound lineman who's eight feet tall and said, you're a f***ing nerd. <laughs> and that journalist was never <laughs> heard from again. That's right. Somebody else tried to crack a wood for sheep joke? <laughs> no, done. Nope. Yep. They're still finding parts of him in the locker room. Well, those guys should play Stone Age instead of Settlers of Catan, but whatever. <laughs> but I think that's one of the things we're going to see, though, is the fact that as the hobby broadens, you know, it, it's going to see more football players. Well, maybe, but I mean, it's, it's one of those things that goes hand in hand with what I'm talking about. It, about D and D are losing the meaning we currently have for it. Right? It, it's not going to carry the significance it currently does, and I think that is a sign of that sort of thing. When you get more people coming into the hobby from a diverse set of directions, you know, would I have been able to convince these same groups of people to play D&D? And I realize I'm comparing a board game to a role-playing game. Would I have been able to convince people like Andrew Luck, who's a football player, to sit down and play D&D for the same things that attracted him to Settlers of Catan? I don't know. Would another role-playing game have gotten his interest? Possibly so. There's an NBA player huge into D&D. I forget what the guy's name is. Uh, it, you can find it on D&D's Wikipedia article. They have a section called Notable People Who Played Dungeon Direct, like Robin Williams is on there. and Vin uh, Diesel. Vin Diesel, yeah, yeah. And so there's this basketball player, and this guy, again, NBA, we're not talking like college or some bushly. He's like NBA major player. And uh, he's got like a tattoo of his D&D character. He got the players union involved he took it as high as he could possibly take it to get his character's name on his jersey instead of his name. <laughs> he went to the players union. He got, I mean, he fought it and fought and fought until they, they came out and they said, no, there is a rule. This has to be your real name. That, yeah, that it has to be a real <laughs> well, name. It can't be just, so then he went to court legally and had that. Change. <laughs> well, and then hopefully if the number's not retired, you got to get either your level or your hit points right. as, your, <laughs> as your jersey number. Yep. Oh, my goodness. Assuming it's uh, not in use or retired, you know, you got to get that. All right. So here's and it what, was a lawful evil wizard. Uh, was it really? Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. I mean, I love wizards, but lawful evil. <laughs> so, all right. Here's what I want to hear from you guys at home, which is what do you think the hobby is going to look like? 10 to 25 years from now, what do you think is going to change? What do you think is going to be here, not be here? 
if you could talk to the you of 2027 through what is that 2042 i'm doing the head math right which i'm probably not (laughs) then what would the you of that point in history have to say to you now about the state of the role-playing hobby so there's your something to chew on uh, once again, Fear the Con 10 still coming up. Link to it yet again. The show notes, fearthecon.com. Really easy to remember, yes, Brodor? We were pitching games at dinner of things that we should run at Fear the Con. And so I, I think that I think that you have convinced me that the ugly, too real to play game, I think I'm, I want to do for sure. And we've been working on Chad. We're trying to get Chad to run something. Well, too. I also forgot when I was talking about games I was going to run, I forgot to mention another one, which is the pat and the golf course game <laughs> where I, i'm gonna get pat to play pat and he's gonna be like this jason Voorhees type figure <laughs> where normal things don't kill him and the game it, the game starts with you you have to play dan wayne or brodor <laughs> and pat has lured you over the berm of a golf course with a paper bag and you don't even know what's in it. And like other people will find other roles. Like they might be other hosts <laughs> that maybe come to the rescue or they could be like, the, like an old guy with Alzheimer's who doesn't realize it's the middle of the night. It's right. out there for his he, tea, he off got his tea off time. And yeah. He thought it was AM and stuff. Hey, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. So for us, you guys have a great week and great games and we will catch you next time. This has been a production of Fear the Boot, copyright 2017. Listeners are free to use this episode in any non-commercial endeavor so long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com. You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. Fear the Boot is also a member of the RPG Academy network of shows. You can find other great shows in this network at therpgacademy.com slash network.